welcome back to Activist Class. I am here with Myra. Oh, we're going to say hi. Hi. Chrissy. Hey, guys. Aretha. Bow, 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 bow. Did that sound like Aretha? <laughs> All right, whatever. We're here with Spat. What up? Our favorite guest, no offense to the other guests, JM, Yay. talking about the COVID-19 situations in the prisons and what we can do and COVID-19 mutual aid as a whole. Uh, this is a pandemic and a crisis that I think some people, um, just with the media that I consume sometimes, I think some people are kind of letting up on the how intense it is and what's going on, especially here in Washington State. But we do know that, especially with communities that are more impacted than others. Um, this is a crisis that is continuing and a crisis that we still don't have a lot of good solutions, especially from our elected leaders. Um, and so we're happy to have JM on to figure out ways to organize around this and put some more pressure around finding more equitable solutions for uh, people in need. Jam, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I know you have someone calling in as well from one of the prisons. So if you want to intro them real quick, that'd be dope. Yeah. So um, we have Kimani Carter from um, Stafford Creek Correction Center based in um, Aberdeen, Washington. And Kimani is a leader with the, with the Black Prisoner Caucus and has really um, been active and connected to folks out here and inside as well. Kimani, you want to add anything? Uh, I think that was it. Okay. You know, definitely in solidarity with, you know, the APICNG group, you know, fight the village, you know. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you so much for being on. Um, do you want to give us kind of a rundown of what's going on within Stafford Creek um, and what folks are, are experiencing on the inside right now? Uh, inside Stafford Creek, well, um, you know, the COVID-19, uh, you know, pandemic is pretty much taking over everything. Um, you know, the prison space that, you know, uh, about 2,000 men occupy here at Stafford Creek. Um, we got, you know, limited movements, limited recs, um, you know, they're definitely impl uh, implementing the, uh, the, the six feet distancing, um, you know, it's really altered the, the entire prison schedule, you know, if you will. So, you know, schools are shut down, uh, program activity areas are shut down, visiting is shut down. Um, we've been reduced from, you know, three hot meals a day to two. Uh, we get a sack lunch for, we get a sack lunch for lunch now. Um, you know, G unit, I'm in, there's, uh, there's seven units here. Um, seven units in each unit, there's seven units and each unit is kind of broken up into an A, B section. So, uh, G units and, um, uh, IMU is kind of the temporary uh, isolation units, you know, so for, you know, guys who are in the uh, G unit A side, that is the bottom tier is where they're, you know, basically quarantining and isolate people with, you know, any type of flu-like symptoms. Um, uh, and so, you know, we don't know if anybody has actually uh, tested positive yet uh, here on the compound, you know, prisoners or staff. Um, you know, if they have, we haven't been made aware of it yet. Um, the other day they just handed out some little, uh, little packs of, um, handkerchiefs, four hair ties, about, 
uh, four coffee filters and an instruction on how to make your own uh, face mask. And on uh, Saturday evening or early Sunday, about one o'clock in the morning, they came through and ultimately, uh, you know, mandated that everybody now outside of their sales will now be required to wear a face mask. So, um, you know, for many of the guys on the inside, you know, it, it, this is, you know, for us, it, it seems that there's more going on than what is being, uh, you know, kind of told to us. But, you know, we're still trying to inquire, you know, with regards to exactly what's going on, how we can get a little bit more information. Um, all of the information that's really being, uh, you know, conveyed to us is being conveyed to us by staff. You know, so I, 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 I can definitely say the entire time that we have been um, on this, like, modified uh, movement, you know, to not want to have any medical personnel coming to the unit and actually convey any type of information to us, um, you know, what's going on, proper ways of being able to do anything, um, things that we should be concerned about. Uh, they're still providing us with the same old uh, cleaning supplies. So, um, you know, you know, people are concerned, you know what I'm saying, uh, rightfully so. Uh, but what we're basically doing is we're just anticipating it day by day. Hopefully, um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't come through and, you know, really tear up this uh, prison the way we think it can. Can you share what happened at Stafford today? There was some clips out on Facebook about... Um how some folks got, like, retaliated against by the guards? Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I, I do not know. Okay. Um, you know, again, like I said, there's, 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 there's seven living units here. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so each living unit has roughly around 256 inmates in it. And yeah, from between the, the, the two yard schedules that we have throughout the day, um, we may we may see one other unit, you know what I'm saying. So the other five, I don't. And it, it'll probably take a while for that information to actually spread around in here with regards to how they're running the movements at this time. So you had mentioned that they had passed out coffee filters for folks to make their own masks. Have they provided you all actual masks, or are you all expected to make these uh, makeshift things for yourselves? Well, I would say about a week ago, what they did is they, they came through with, you know, like the box of like the disposable face mask and they handed everybody one, right? And so, but we're, you know I'm saying, we're clear that these are literally for one-time use, right? This isn't a mask that you're supposed to be walking around with for, you know, weeks uh, at a time. And so, um, so everybody was given that mask about a week ago, I'd probably say about seven days ago. Uh, but on Saturday nights, I would say about one thirty in the morning, you know what I'm saying? The graveyard shift literally was going from door to door, opening up people's sales, handing them this little memorandum from DOC headquarters, basically stating to us that it will be required for us to actually wear this mask anytime that we're outside of our, wear, wear this mask anytime we're outside of our sale. And they handed us, and it had the instructions on how to wash the handkerchiefs, and all of that type of stuff. And it was our responsibility to keep it clean and all that, and, 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 and basically these little guidelines. And so what they handed us, I still haven't even opened it yet. It's uh, um, because I just started to wear the mask that they gave us a week ago. Uh, but, uh, 
but inside this little plastic bag, it's two handkerchiefs, two white handkerchiefs, um, a number of uh, coffee filters. I don't know how many coffee filters exactly, and four hair ties, uh, and instructions on how to make your own uh, face mask. And so that's essentially what they went to and handed out to every single prisoner here at Stafford Creek. Since visitation um, isn't happening between you and your family, I'm sure there are a lot of folks inside who are worried about the health of their families on the outside and vice versa. How are you keeping in touch with your loved ones right now? Um, so, you know, what um, has happened with regards to, so visiting, uh, face-to-face contact visiting has been suspended um, until further notice. So we haven't been given a date or a time. Um, but what we have been given is um, the GTL has provided people with two five-minute free phone calls a week. So for anybody who are unable to pay for their own phone calls, um, they're given two five-minute phone calls a week uh, uh, per GTL slash DOC. Um, and just, I think just on Sunday, they just approved two free video, two free 15-minute video visits um, for, you know, people's family and loved ones. And so uh, outside of the phone, so here the, 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 they've also kind of separated the phone. So in this unit we have um, eight phone booths, but there's only seven phones. And every other phone they've essentially backed off in order for us to to kind of continue to practice social distancing. And so for the, the 132 people who live in this unit, we literally have to rotate four phones. Um, and so um, the, visit, the video visits have, uh, we only got two kiosk machines, but only one provides video visits. Um, and for the two free video visits that they have given out, they, they haven't been working. Um, and so for people, but there have been video visits scheduled, um, the, the technology and the equipment that they've uh, provided is, 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 is very, very poor, I would say, just to say the least, you know what I'm saying? Because you have a, for people who pay for them, you get one 30-minute video visit. And I would say out of the 30 minutes, you'll get seven or eight minutes just undisturbed time. Any other time is cutting out, it's freezing. Um, and so between the phones, JPay, um, and, you know, writing letters through the mail, that's the only way that we have been able to keep in contact with our family. I think a, a lot of us um, take for granted about the access to information that we have and the flood of it. Um, what has that process been for you as you all are also trying to get as much information as this pandemic keeps evolving every day, um, not knowing like uh, how to protect yourselves, like what what is actually spreading the virus, um, who's getting it, who's not, um, demographics that are more prone to getting the disease, et cetera. What has trying to gain more information um, looking like for um, your situation right now? All right, this phone's about to cut off, so I'm about to call back. Okay. You have 30 seconds remaining. An inmate at Stafford Creek Correction Center. This call will be recorded and monitored. If you wish to block... 
Thank you. So how have we been receiving information? Um, I yeah. would say the majority, the majority of the prison, you know what I'm saying, outside of basic little memos that the Department of Corrections is literally posting in the units, um, you know, if for people who are actually talking to their family and their and their loved ones through either the phone or the JPay, um, you know, outside of that, we're getting all of our information from the news, right? Ever since we've had this, you know, this uh, social distancing, uh, you know, practice implemented, we have not. I repeat, we have not heard from any medical staff whatsoever. You know, no nurses. Um, coming to the units, no doctors, you know what I'm saying, who has essentially told us how it is contracted, how it can be passed, you know what I'm saying, symptoms that we should be worrying about, none of those things. No one has come to share any of those things with us. You know what I'm saying? At the most, what the information that is being spread to us is essentially to wash our hands and stay away from each other. That's it. You know what I'm saying? And so, um, you know, again, you know, it's like we are, you know, constantly – you know, for me, I, f I find myself watching a lot of news as a way of just being able to just keep, you know, up with uh, just how the, the world of society is kind of dealing with this pandemic. You know what I'm saying? But on the inside, you know, we literally are talking to ourselves what we think that is going on, how we think that we can catch it, and things that we should be concerned with. Um, so our access to information is very, very limited, you know what I'm saying? And outside of everything that the Department of Corrections is providing us, that's ultimately what I would say the majority of the people have to really rely on is the Department of Corrections version of things to be aware of and practices to uh, uh, to work on as a way of preventing yourself from contacting uh, this virus. Has there been any update with I know uh, a prison in Ohio just got uh, word that there's over 2,000 inmates who got tested positive for COVID-19. And that's because they were finally able to push for... Yeah, uh, over 2,000 inmates that got tested positive for COVID-19 in Ohio. Do you, Have you gotten any update with uh, rapid available testing for, for everybody um, where you're at? That I, I I've I've heard of people who um, I uh, the other day on the yard we actually had a conversation about you know one of you know saying, one of my friends he actually put in a kite to medical that stated that he wanted to get tested for the coronavirus and the response that they wrote back on the kite said are you displaying symptoms you know what I'm saying and so. His, his response back was, no, I'm not displaying symptoms, but I would like uh, I would like to be tested just to make sure. And I think that his, the, the, the next response was, unless you're showing symptoms um, or if you have any other concerns, you know, essentially notify your unit officer, notify your unit officer, right? And so... The, you know, I would say one of the, the biggest concerns, I would say even for people who may be dealing with um, uh, a fever, a cough, runny nose, shortness of breath, different types of things of that nature, I would say many people on the inside, they will, they're, they're going to be reluctant to be able to go to the officers and be able to report you know, what's going on with them because one, many men in here think that if it's, if it's a cold or something and they don't have, any, um, underlying conditions that they'll just be able to fight it off. 
right? And the second thing is, is that people are actually more scared of the the, 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 the isolation and the punishment that actually comes from actually seeking medical attention, right? Because the moment that you, you know, report to them that you are feeling some sort of symptoms and different types of things of that nature, I don't know what the process is. I don't know if the guys that are across the hall who are on quarantine have actually been tested. You know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't have enough information to be able to make that determination. But I do know that anybody who was, you know what I'm saying, reporting to the officers in your unit that you are feeling sick, dizzy, lightheaded, that you uh, 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 are feeling weak, the first thing that they're doing is they're making you put on a mask and they're dragging you over here to either G unit or to the hole, and they're locking you in a cell. You know what I'm saying? And most of the time, they're locking you in a cell with another sick person. And so, uh, I don't know if those people are getting sick, but I know, I don't know of any person that has received a test and tested positive or negative one way or the other. So I don't even know if they're available. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, just to uh, correct myself, uh, 73% of inmates at an Ohio prison tested positive for coronavirus. That article just came out today in NPR. Um, and that's about 1,828 confirmed cases inside the prison. Um, and uh, o- Ohio Department of Rehabilitation and Correction um, told NPR that a lot of those inmates actually did not show any symptoms. Yeah. I checked today and I saw that uh, on DOC's website, they said they have 13 confirmed cases of coronavirus throughout the Washington state system um, and that they've conducted 282 tests. Can I say something real quick? Those numbers are interesting too because um, I think the number of folks who are isolated does not match up with the number of people who got tested. And the criteria for being isolated is that you're showing symptoms. So just looking at the numbers, it doesn't seem like everyone who's showing symptoms is getting tested, which is problematic. Mm -hmm. And can I ask a clarifying question? Um, so you're saying if you are showing symptoms and you're letting the correctional officer or whoever know that you have symptoms and you're worried that you have the virus, they're putting you in isolation with other people who have symptoms and could actually have COVID-19, even though you may not have it, but you're just worried that your symptoms show that you could have it. So really what that's just doing is putting you at a higher exposure rate, right? Right. And so in G unit across, just right across the hall from where I'm at, right, the whole bottom tier, well, I would say about 70% of the bottom tier contains quarantine folks, right? And so what they'll do is they'll move up, they might move a person. So let's just say if JM got showed symptoms two days ago, they went and put her in 33 house. Then all of a sudden you showed symptoms today. If there's if there's an open bed in there with JM, they're putting you in the same room with her, and then they're just going from one room to the next. Right? They're not they're not isolating them as individually. They're literally putting two strangers, you know, what I'm saying in one room and isolating them both. And so you're absolutely correct that you, know, you could essentially be placed in harm's way with somebody who actually have it and you don't. And and this may be a dumb question, but what I'm sure there are inmates who are scared to share with people that they are feeling a little sick because they don't want to be put 
in an area where there's other sick people, right? That's exactly what's happening. And it's also for people who have cellies, right? What is also being, con- what is also being conveyed is for two people who are living in the cell, they're also trying to talk the other person out of going to report it. Because if they, if, if you and JM both live in the same cell and then you go report that you're having symptoms, they're going to, they're also going to, they're also going to quarantine JM as well. Even though she's not reporting symptoms, but because she was in the same room with you. Wow. You know, and so, you know, what you have is, you know, you literally have people trying to make sure that they don't lose their liberties while, or the, the little liberties that they do have while seeking medical attention. One more, one more thing that we've been talking about, um, at least on the organizing level, is a lot of the concerns around how DOC is treating isolation versus people in solitary confinement or the whole. Um, so folks that are being put in isolation, have they told you how they're, how they're making those two things different, if they are at all? Well, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know of any, I don't know of any medical isolation. I don't know of anybody that's being quarantined in, in medical. You know what I'm saying? What I know is that either you're getting placed in G unit or they're sending you to IMU. You know what I'm saying? To segregation. And so, no, there isn't no, like when you get a nurse and they're coming around, like the nurse comes, they come through G unit periodically. And that's it. So I, I don't, I don't know if any medical isolation. I just know of IMU and G unit. If there are people who are being isolated in uh, uh, in in medical, I am unaware of what that requirement would be. But um, yeah, I don't think I can't. I don't have enough information to speak towards that. I think that's the point: is that medical isolation is conflated with the IMU or solitary confinement. That's what we're hearing from other folks in other facilities too. So are people organizing inside? Do folks have demands? Yeah, there haven't been any any programming spaces where people have been able to go to as a way of being able to, you know, actually get a good sense of what's going on around the institution. Um, and so if there has been any organizing, it's been done on a very, very small level, and I would say within people's uh, living institutions. Um you know, outside of that, I don't know what any demands are. Uh, but that was one of the things that I was having conversations with with people here. The moment that they gave us the mask and were telling us that it was mandatory that we that we wear them, you know what I'm saying? Then I told them that this is also an opportunity for us to be able to make sure that we're uh, demanding them to give us some answers too. It's like, I want to know exactly what the process is that you guys are using for every officer that comes up in here. How many officers have been actually tested, not just had their temperature checked, right? How many people have actually been turned away because they, they showed symptoms? You know, I think that we also get, need to start off uh, uh, requesting more direct answers to questions which, you know, uh, 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 may lead to some of these steps that they're taking as a way of um, these preventative measures. Because at this at this at this point, you know what I'm saying, we're kind of clear, you know what I'm saying, that the only way that we can the only way that we can that we can essentially catch this is if we get it from some actual people who are coming from the outside. And the only people who are coming inside the institution are officers, uh, 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 food management staff, and the maintenance folks. 
You know what I'm saying? And so if if we and I don't know if what kind of testing that is that has happened thus far, but they haven't done any testing with regards to just ordinary people making the request. Um, and so that was that's the the conversation that's being had is now is what what information do we need in order to make sure that things are going um, or they're taking the necessary steps to to make sure that this isn't coming inside the institution. But on a larger scale, no, there hasn't been any organizing efforts. Honestly, like, we all just want to say thank you from the bottom of our heart, like, for spending time and sharing so much information with us. Mm -hmm. um, please know that, like, we're out here on the outside. We're in standing in solidarity with you. There's a lot of love for you. Um, and if there's anything that we can do, like, we're down to lift it up um, and, and keep working. Mm -hmm. Kimani, I want to ask you, are you okay with using your name on this podcast? I know it happened really yeah. fast. Okay. All right. And yeah, if there's anything yeah, no issue. If there's anything that comes up that you want folks to edit out, you should let us know. All right. No, I think that, you know, one thing about, you know, being able to, you know, really, you know, organize and make, you know, especially institutions stand on truth is that, you know, they, they have to, you know, they have to be, they have to know where it's coming from. You know what I'm saying? As a way of being able to make sure that it's, it's something that isn't, they can't be um, kind of just waved off as hearsay or just, you know, uh, 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 you know, people who are just disgruntled because of what's going on. You know what I'm saying? I think that the, the way that things that are going on in here is, 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 is barely poorly handled. And, you know, I don't have no, uh, no concerns about, you know, my name being used or anything. You know what I'm saying? Because everything that I told you is the truth. So, much love to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for having me. You want to stay on till it cuts off? Yeah, I'll stay on. Okay. So, kind of, I think what would be helpful for folks who are listening is if we can maybe just map out uh, the current landscape of both the political organizing that's happening and the grassroots. Um, we know that, you know, Jainsley has issued a number of orders. There's stuff going on with the Supreme Court um, and there's grassroots campaigns that are currently active and that are calling out both of those um, institutions. Um, so we have the incredible organizer, JM, here with us. Um, so JM, if you want to talk a little bit about some of the stuff that popped off last week, um, I hear Olympia was shut down. Did you have anything to do with that? I don't know. <laughs> a lot of people. Can <laughs> um, so the update is that, you know, Inslee, after the, the protest in Monroe, where folks at the minimum security unit um, did an action in the yard, it really put a lot of pressure on the governor because it was covered by the news. And also shout out to all the family members who came out to Monroe right after that action. Um, and just brought a lot of attention to the issue. Um, and so Inslee put out a proclamation releasing 950 people, and the criteria was all um, centered around people being nonviolent and people who were really close right. to release. I believe it's like two months out from release, Some a few people mm -hmm. from work release. But um, for us as the campaign, you know, we're part of COVID-19 Mutual Aid, it's a broad network of folks, and we have a working group within it that's called Abolitionist Public Health. And people who have been organizing against prisons, jails, um, detention centers, you know, folks came together and 
are in solidarity. They have 60 seconds remaining. Are in solidarity with um, people inside. And so we, we are not satisfied with the 950. It's not enough people. And our messaging is that, you know, COVID-19 doesn't discriminate based on sentencing offense. So we should be releasing people, you know, based on some other criteria that's not just about whether someone, someone's um, in there for nonviolent offenses. And there's also a lot of racial disproportionality with, with regards to sentencing. And, you know, we know black and brown folks are disproportionately charged with like violent crime, even though, you know, it's not about the nature of the offense, but about sentencing. Um, and so we're demanding for more. We had a state uh, a letter out to the governor um, dated March 19th that has our own criteria for release um, that's building off of movements and campaigns that folks... You're about to cut my phone? Oh, okay. You got cut off. But yeah, so we have delivered a letter March 19th um, with our own criteria for what um, the release should be. And Columbia Legal Services has also filed a lawsuit on behalf of five folks inside. Um, and as COVID-19 mutual aid, we submitted a brief, um, you know, some, some dope lawyers were, were handling that brief, interviewing family members, and that was also submitted last Thursday. So the action on Thursday was us sending a message to Inslee saying that 950 releases on this really um, limiting criteria is not enough for addressing this pandemic. And so we had an action at the women's prison at Purdy. We had an action at Olympia, at the governor's mansion, and then also at um, Monroe. And yeah, we had a good turnout. And what's more powerful, what's most powerful is that folks inside know that we're doing that and some folks heard heard the car honking um heard the chants and you know this is a time we want our folks inside to know that we are out here in solidarity with them because we want them to live and that um yeah, yeah no one signed up for a death sentence and COVID 19 is a death sentence once it gets into prisons uh jm you know we had you on the show it was like a bajillion years ago um, and it feels like we were, <laughs> we were really, I mean, at that time, it felt like we had, it was already so catastrophic. Um, but since that first episode, I'd say what, that was like in February, um, we're now in April. And, you know, I would love to know a little bit more of like the, the full scope of like organizing that's happening. You know, I know the abolitionist public health has been doing incredible campaign work. Um, the social media game is fucking A1. Um, but I know you guys are also doing worker organizing and there's also demands around other things um, because we know that this issue is so multifaceted. Um, so I think it would be really dope for folks to know the full the full body of work that is coming out of COVID-19 mutual aid because it is so freaking incredible and it's all grassroots. Yeah. And I think we had discussed the last call, I mean, the last session that, you know, there are broadly three areas of work. One is the horizontal mutual aid. So we're doing fundraising. We have a survival fund that's now at 200,000, 200K, and it's all grassroots, you know, regular folks donating the stimulus check, donating $50, you know, and that all coming together. So we have a survival fund and we have an amazing team that's doing um, the grocery deliveries. We have a community pantry and it's a lot of folks, you know, decentralization and autonomy are some of our values. 
And so we really support people just doing whatever feels like is necessary at this point. Um, and yeah, we have amazing volunteers and folks holding that work down. Um, with the Survival Fund, I'm going to put a plug out for people to donate to it because we really... Hell yeah! Yeah, we're really giving the money to the folks who are most impacted and vulnerable. So um, we gave 20% of whatever we raised to families that were involved in the hunger strike at the detention center um, and that also to families with loved ones who are incarcerated. Um, and then, yeah, we have a breakdown of where the money goes, but the intention is for it to go, especially to undocumented communities who don't have access to state resources. Um, and then the other layer of work is worker organizing. And, you know, we had discussed before, we don't want that false choice between economic survival and our health and well-being. And how do we, you know, respond as workers and as the working class, right? Um, and be critical of employers who are pressuring our folks to go to work even when it's unsafe. Um, so that that work, there are amazing people holding it down um, in various industries, and that's growing. And we have a worker organizing toolkit that was just maybe released a couple of weeks ago, and we're planning for worker organizing trainings um, in the upcoming weeks. Um, and May Day is happening, and May Day is historically a workers, you know, rebellion. Um, a day to yeah. celebrate workers' rebellion that won us the eight-hour day, and so this is a really um, interesting time to be thinking about how to celebrate um, that really uh, meaningful holiday. Um, and then the last work group is Abolitionist Public Health, um, and like Arita said, we've been doing campaigns um, in solidarity with family members, with folks inside. You know, demanding two main things: one is release of folks inside to let them go. Um, stop expansion of DOC in this moment and pushing DOC to really like repurpose its budget, right? So people are coming out, but what kind of support are people going to get when they come out? Like pre-COVID, there's already a lot of stress placed on families receiving their loved ones coming out from DOC. There's a lot of stress on people um, leaving DOC, you know, economic, financial, emotional, all, all of that. And we really want in this moment to not forget how hard it is um, for folks coming out and for families receiving them. And we want that to be placed on the shoulders of DOC. Like they have to figure out how to support families, you know, and this is, they should not use, and this is something that's happening that DOC is saying, if you don't have a confirmed address, then even though you're eligible um, based on NCD's release criteria, folks aren't getting released, right? And so that's um, that's messed up. Like we should be figuring out how to receive our folks coming out from, from prisons. Um, so yeah, we're demanding release and then also safe conditions for people inside. Um, and like you heard what Kimani had mentioned, like, you know, they only implemented this mask wearing business like a week and a half ago for staff. And then for folks um, who are incarcerated is this like bandana kit, which is really um, insufficient. And there's just not enough space inside for people to maintain so social distancing. And, um, you know, the cleaning agents aren't EPA certified, but like, you know, how, how are people expected to disinfect when they don't have the tools to do that? Um, so that's the other component of, of our demands. So the one thing that gets me about the podcast, the first podcast that we did with JM and Lizzie at the beginning of this was like how much the two of you were oracles for COVID 
like everything that you said came true before anyone was expecting it to all come true. And like, I mean, down to like how this was going to be an impending mental health crisis. I think someone mentioned that too. And like just the amount of emotion and like the wave of emotion that I think everyone had experienced through this process was, has just like been so profound and it was hard to predict, you know? And um, I know too, that like part of this is because you, you, this is your work, you have relationships inside the prisons and you understand the deficiencies inside the prison. So you already knew that like, if you add a pandemic to that, that's going to be, that that's going to have horrible outcomes for people. But it just seems like there was such a lack of preparation on all levels, like in the, through the government, by our electeds, um, by people in their day-to-day lives, like just a lack of preparation, a lack of awareness. But you already, you already knew like what needed to be done in preparation. And I just wonder like what that means for, for, um, for the DOC, you know, like they should have known, you know, and for our electeds, they should have known. And like, how, how did you know, basically, and they not know? And and what would your response be to that? I think that's a deep question. I think, you know, a lot of folks inside expected this too. A lot of family members who are like concerned about their loved ones are also like, you know, from jump have been like, what's going to happen to our people inside? Um I don't know if folks were able to see Insley's press conference um, right after the Monroe action. And it was, you know, even Seattle Times was critical of it, which, you know, says a lot. But basically, he was just blaming, <laughs> he was just blaming incarcerated folks for not quarantining or not isolating or not reporting, you know, their conditions. And it's just like the ultimate gaslighting of like, rather than looking at the structural issues and the policies, they're pathologizing people's responses. And you see this, con- I mean, prison is just a terrible place. Like it's not a place for healing. And, you know, even pre-COVID, it's terrible. But especially now, I think it's amped up. And we have heard from family members at the women's prison at Purdy who are like, you know, folks there are going through panic attacks. Like it's because you know, what they're experiencing and facing isn't being acknowledged or addressed by the system. And so people internalize that and, you know, it comes out in these like anxiety and panic attacks. And so um, anyway, I went on a tangent, but my point is just they have, it really is surprising um, intentionally or not that they are trying to shift all the blame to folks who are pretty powerless within the system. You know, when folks are inside, there's no there's no meaningful agency to change the conditions of their lives. And then to like blame people for not social distancing, for not like, you know, doing the thing that would keep them healthy when when the system doesn't create those conditions, it's like it's really infuriating. Um and I'm, I am surprised by Inslee's reaction. I think when I got on, that, on, the, on the first session with you guys, I was really thinking that the system or the powers that be would be, you know, shocked by this pandemic, that they would at least think of some measures to keep people safe, especially, 
you know, because this is so unpredictable and, and it's taken so many lives. But I think to see how slow both DOC and Inslee are um, in addressing the conditions in DOC is that they are hedging their bets. You know, they're hedging their bets on this pandemic passing. It's the same thing that, you know, Inslee likes to distinguish himself from Trump by being like, oh, Trump is not taking this thing seriously. Inslee's getting a lot of credit, credibility, um, legitimacy for doing the stay home orders and like, you know, just like the contrast between him and Trump. But our messaging is, is that he's the Trump of Washington state prisons and he's spreading fake news about the prison conditions. Um, and I think it shows how, yeah, they're really conservative in their responses because they have political aspirations. You know, they don't want to rock the boat. Um, they are, you know, releasing these 950 people, 950 people. And it sounds like a lot, but it really isn't. When you divide it by 12, there's 12 prisons and a number of work release facilities. Like that's not, that's not a meaningful number of people to release per facility. Um, and with the criteria being like, you know, people have to be nonviolent offenders with like two months or less. Um, it's not meaningful. It's not meaningful. And they are, I think, hedging their bets that things will be fine. And it's, um, yeah, I think I wasn't also, I mean, I expect this from the powers that be, but then it's also just really like devastating that they're willing to put people's lives, you know, on hold like that um, and take that chance. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's been really wild to watch um, people get up in front of a camera and blatantly throw people under the bus um, who are technically in their care. Um, people who are incarcerated are in the care of the state and that's the state's responsibility to care for them. Um, I was reading the Seattle Times article and it pointed out how after the Monroe action, the lawyers who were appointed for the state literally used the protest saying that because they did that, it shows that they're emotionally unstable and that that is the condition, that that is the reasoning for why we should be skeptical of releasing people and not recognizing that people were literally trashing living quarters as a form of protest. Yeah. It's, it's truly wild um, just to see gaslighting happen so blatantly and just so unapologetically. Uh, yeah. So it, I mean, Washington state has 19,000 people incarcerated. It, people don't think about that, but if you, these numbers um, are great talking points, but the second you put them in a perspective, they're dots in the bucket. Absolutely. Yeah, and I'll add to that is just like the different ways in that, that white supremacy, you know, expresses itself, you know, through institutional mm -hmm. policies and then through these like pathologizing of people's psyche. And yeah. it goes along the same lines of, you know, the disposability of black, brown, poor people's bodies and lives is that um, we see this with DOC and NC is that you know, the lives of folks inside are like disposable to them, that they can take these wild chances and still get credit. Still, That's what's also drawing, jarring is that they still get credit, you know, with the media for everything they're doing for people outside of prisons, right? But it's almost like that's a non-factor um, in the conversation. 
So just to reiterate your earlier point, um, comparing uh, what Inslee's doing and kind of the spread of fake propaganda in a lot of way that he's doing, especially about what's going on in the prisons. Um, you think, would you say he's at the point where he's just scared to do rapid testing in, in our in our prisons because he knows what the results are going to show? I mean, the Ohio prison numbers that dropped today, I think were very eye-opening for a lot of people. 73% of inmates being tested positive for COVID is not something that the elected leaders there can just brush under the rug, you know? And I hate to always go back um, to elections, but we know that these people have very high political aspirations and they know that 2021 is coming up, 2022 is coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Dow is getting a lot of shit. Um, Durkin, Inslee. Uh, and at this point, just like Trump, testing is only going to uncover mm-hmm. the, the fears that we all already have. Yeah, I'm actually surprised that Ohio tested the folks inside, you know, did such mass testing to be able to get those numbers. And I think we talked about this the last session, too, is that there's going to be so many deaths that will not be attributed to COVID because people are going to die of their pre-existing conditions. They're exacerbated. Um, And, you know, they'll be dead before the test results come out or before they get tested. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean... You know, Kimani was saying people aren't being tested in there. I mean, the the tragedy is that people aren't being tested out here either. You know, it's not like we're having mass rapid testing for everyone here and there's that discrepancy with folks in prison. I mean, there is, there, there are discrepancies, but, you know, with regards to testing, it, yeah, it's just the bar is low, I guess, in terms of who can access it. Um, but I do think... Yeah, there will be a lot of, you know, I, I, I'm not, I don't want to do the conspiracy theory thing where they're not, to say they're intentionally not testing. Um, I don't know enough, like, just like the accessibility of these testing kits. I'm hearing different things. I'm reading up about it. But, you know, there's like still, from what I'm hearing, like, there's still a shortage of testing supplies. Um and I don't know how intentional it is that people aren't getting tested, but the consequences is like they're not mitigating the fact that people aren't getting tested. You know, it's not, they, they aren't like brainstorming how to get A, more people tested and B, to have preventative measures in case someone is not tested and is might be positive, right? Um, they're not preparing for those scenarios, which is what is really jarring and um, scary about it. And yeah, just, I'm, I'm scared to think about, you know, why and the consequences of that. Um, yeah. Um, what are the next steps of the campaign? Uh, what are some things that people should be looking out for? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, what we're hearing from our lawyers is that April 23rd is um, when the case is, the case is going to be heard at the Washington State Supreme Court. And so as... Um, a collective, we are trying to put pressure on the judges um, because they are elected officials and we want to address, you know, the arguments um, that is often used to justify this ongoing incarceration of our communities. Um, and we want to place pressure on the Washington State Supreme Court judges. So folks can find out more about that on our Instagram, our Facebook. Um, but that's the plan for right now. Um yeah, we just, you know, this is a long, 
it's a it's a long term struggle. Um, I think we have some immediate short term demands of release, but we're really hoping that you know through our relationships with family members, relationships with folks inside, with community members who care, that we're building for a bigger, broader vision of abolition um, in in our state. Word. And I mean, you did come on to the show on 420, although when this releases, it will not be 420. So we can't let you go without at least like one weed game of the weed variety. (laughs) I told you you could be high on the pod. Um, Okay. I did tell you that. I bet you could talk about prisons half asleep and it still sounds immaculate. Yeah, I was about to say, maybe, yeah, maybe JM can actually pull it off on, like, all, all of us. <laughs> I considered it, but I was like, I will, you will literally hear me snoring in the back. And then yeah, I will fall asleep. Episode. <laughs> okay, JM, I'm going to give you three people, and you have to tell us, who would you smoke with on 420? Snoop Dogg, Rihanna, and Bob Marley. Bob Marley, the OG. Yeah, the OG. Rihanna. This is why we're friends. Yes. <laughs> what is your reasoning? Because she's hot. <laughs> <laughs> you are amazing. Thank you so much for making time. I know you've been on Zoom calls basically all day and all weekend and every day. <laughs> With you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Please rate it five stars. iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. Uh, Take a break from Netflix. Put this on while you're doing your never-ending dishes. My dishes aren't never-ending. Are never-ending? Never-ending? Anybody else figure out how to, like, keep your dish level to a minimum? 